Well, this is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, it was started as uh, Decoration Day, an opportunity for folks to go and to decorate the graves of our soldiers, many of whom laid down their lives for our freedom, that we can come and assemble and be able to, to worship and and uh, to be able to follow God openly, publicly, without any kind of uh, fear or threat. And uh, for that, of course, we are we're very grateful. It is also here in the Western Boone School Corporation community, it is uh, commencement uh, weekend. And uh, you, like myself, have uh, perhaps been to an open house or two or three or four or five, and uh, it has been a great time of celebration. When I was uh, planning what I was going to be preaching on today, very seldom are we ever in between sermon series and have opportunities for kind of standalone messages. And uh, Jerry Imes and I have been we were talking about what that was going to look like, and he's out of town this weekend, by the way, visiting family, but he and I were talking about it, and we said, you know, last Sunday was... Uh, uh, Youth Sunday, and the Sunday before that was Mother's Day. This is Memorial Day. He's actually preaching for us next week. My family plans to, will be on vacation, but we plan to worship with you. We have two graduates in our home uh, this coming week, and going to have a lot of family in town. And, and so we were talking about all these standalone messages. But when I, I thought about this being Memorial Day weekend, and I thought about it being graduation weekend here locally in our community, and I got to thinking about the victory that God has given us and the victories he has given us. And I thought about the challenges and the opportunities uh, that are ahead for our graduates, the whole idea of graduation, the word commencement, you're commencing onto something. It's not so much what you're leaving behind, but what you're heading to. And that can be exciting and it can be a little scary as well. As I watch the news from a Memorial Day uh, weekend standpoint, and I, I see on there, you know, uh, different difficult talks with Iran and other countries, and I start thinking, oh, this is, this is looking scary, and we're sending X number of troops here, and I, I start to get a little fearful of what the future looks like. And then I'm reminded, again, of past victories. And I would encourage all of our graduates and the homes in which they live, mine included, as we face the future with that anxiety or that apprehension, that kind of cautious uh, excitement of what does the future look like, let's remember that God goes with them. Let's remember that they have a firm foundation in their faith in Scripture. As we watch the news and we see tensions rise around the globe, let's remember that the same God who has seen us through victory after victory after victory is still on the throne. And as we turn our attention to him and we remember that on this Rememory weekend, this Memorial Day weekend, maybe be reminded of the God who gives us victory. So I chose for today uh, three chapters out of the book of Judges uh, that talk about Gideon. Gideon was a, a, a valiant uh, general, if you will. He was a great military leader, and he found an amazing victory in God. The Israelites had misbehaved in the land that God had given them. You know about the 40-year journey after they were released from slavery in Egypt and they wandered through uh, the wilderness and God fed them with manna every single day, just enough for each day. They were told to gather and, and he gave them quail when they complained about the manna and he gave them fresh water to drink. And, and, and time after time after time after time, God was all they needed. He was the, uh, the pillar of fire by night and of cloud by day. He was the leader, and he led them 
across the Jordan River and into the victory as they marched around the city of Jericho and the walls fell down and they entered in and they took over the promised land. They found a land that was flowing with milk and honey. As Veggie Tales asked us, sounds sticky. <laughs> a land flowing with milk and honey. Every great blessing, grapes so big, it would take two men to carry each cluster with a pole run through them. It was a wonderful, almost a a second chance at a garden of paradise was this land that was given to them. God had one strong caution for them. You are entering a land in which there are a multiplicity of false gods that that have been worshipped. And as you enter in here, do not worship their gods or the gods in the lands that you have traveled, but you worship the one true God. Worship me and worship me alone, and things will go well with you. That seems easy enough, doesn't it? But God's people oftentimes found themselves in the midst of prosperity, turning their backs on God, becoming their own gods, looking for their own idols in which to worship. And every time that they would turn their backs willfully on God and stray from him, God would kind of stand aside, all right? (laughs) You think you can be your own God? Have at it. And they never went well. And that's where we find them in our passages today. They had become oppressed by the Midianites and by others. The Amalekites and, and, and and the people from the east had oppressed them for seven years. One commentary described them as a plague of locusts and another one as as a field of grasshoppers just devouring their crops. They would plant their crops and they would look great, but then here would come all of these Midianites and they would camp out and they would just feed on all of their produce right at harvest time and just devour all of it. God reminds his people, That it was he who had delivered them from Egyptian slavery. It was he who had given them the land of the Canaanites with that one condition. But they had disobeyed him. Here's the bottom line. When you belong to God, your story is really his story in your life. I heard about a, a new employee of a boat rental place that looked out at time to call in the boat rentals, and he noticed that there was one boat that had drifted out farther than it should have been to begin with and was past its time of return. So he, he took the, uh, the poor quality PA system and pulled it down, you know, boat 91, please return to the dock immediately. Thank you. And boat 91 just defied that order and continued to kind of ride the waves way out at sea as if it did not hear his call. And so he, he sounded it again. He said, Boat 91, I said your time is up. You need to return to the dock as soon as possible, please, and thank you. And again, Boat 91 just bobbed along out there on the waves. He got kind of exasperated over this, and he shouted into the microphone, I said, Boat 91, you need to come back to the dock and right now. About that time, the manager came running out to his, his little Uh, station there and he said to him he said we only have 50 boats there's no boat 91 both he and the young employee looked back out at the water he took the microphone and he said boat 16 are you in trouble (laughs) God sends an angel 
And this angel comes to Gideon and is like, you're in trouble here. You got a problem and God's trying to get your attention and it is time to return to him. It is time to give your focus back on him. Here are a few things that we need to remember this Memorial Day weekend about the victories of the past and what it takes to be victorious in the future. As students who are graduating, whether it is from 6th grade at Wells or Thorntown or it is at 12th grade that you're graduating from Western Boone or from other schools, if, uh, if you are headed off to college, if, uh, if you're now a high school freshman, uh, if you are about to begin any kind of new chapter of your lives, if you are the parent of a new freshman daughter or a high school or a college rather freshman son, <laughs> i.e. myself and Shauna, then listen up because there's great encouragement from Judges 6 through 7. The first thing that it takes is trust. Absolute, unconditional trust in God. God is with you wherever you go. Listen carefully uh, to verses 11 through 16. Read along with them on your, uh, on your smart device or your Bible or the screen if you would like. But I want you to listen very carefully to... Uh, Gideon's apprehension and the reason why he should not be anxious. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, uh, the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you. Repeat that with me. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Oh, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us, and he has given us into the hands of Midian. And the Lord has turned to him and said, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in his might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Well, I tell you what, pause right there. When you are sent by God and God is with you, you will be victorious. God and one man is a majority. Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. That's a recurring theme throughout the Bible, isn't it? Think about David, the youngest little shepherd boy. You think about Moses and his apprehension about leading the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land. And now we have Gideon who says, Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. That's exactly who God is looking for. He's looking for the weakest. He's looking for the least. Why? That he might get all the praise and the glory when there's victory. And the Lord said to him, what? But I will be with you. Say that with me. But I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. There's a rich encounter in that passage. Between this angel of the Lord and, and Gideon. Because he is assuring Gideon that what he is giving him an assignment to do, he can do because of who it is that is with him and who it is who is sending him. 
You see, when you belong to God, when you are baptized into Jesus Christ, when you follow him as your Lord and Savior, when you are filled with his Holy Spirit, there is nowhere that you go on this planet where God isn't. I love what Psalm 139 says, you know. Uh, where, where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my de- bed in the depths, you are there. If I settle on the far side of the sea, your hand is with me. Your right hand holds me fast. Whether you are going away to college, whether you're joining, joining the armed services, whether you are studying a trade, whether you are working at the family business, whatever your plan is, whatever God has laid on your heart, if he is the one who is sending you, he will go with you and you will have victory because God and one person is always a majority. Seven years, seven years, there had been this incredible oppression. Can you imagine if every time you planted a garden in your backyard, you know, you got several rows of tomatoes and several rows of sweet corn and several rows of, of green beans. And, and every time that harvest comes on, people begin camping out alongside the road. And you can't do anything about it but stand back and from looking through a curtain in the window and watching them fill their bushel baskets with all your produce. It would do something to you every spring when you go to plant <laughs> a crop when you know that someone's going to come and take the fruit from which you have planted. And that's how these Israelites were feeling about about this oppression from Midian. It was time to rise up. It was time to say, oh, no, you don't. You'll not take my produce. You'll not come and, and steal the fruit from my hard work. It was time to do that. But they were so outnumbered, so overwhelmed, so overcome, so defeated that they were no longer even trying. I've heard that you can do an experiment with, uh, I believe it's uh, those little uh, gnats that kind of jump. You know, you've seen them, they, uh, they get on dogs and other things. And, but you can put them in a, in a jar with a lid, and they'll jump up and bang their little heads on the lid. Ding! And and eventually they quit jumping so high, and you can take the lid off, and they'll stay inside that jar, and they'll just jump only so high, because they become so defeated that they figure, why even jump any harder? There's no use. We can't conquer it. We can't get out of this. We're stuck in it. Now, maybe that's you today. Maybe as you look to the future, you are so overwhelmed and you look within yourself at just yourself and you you try to put all of your faith and all of your confidence in your own abilities and you think, I can't do it. I can't go to that school. I can't take that new job. I can't help my extended family through some of the issues they're going through. I can't take this kind of weather that we have been dealing with. I can't. There's all these kind of can'ts that we have when we look at things and we consider our own gifts, talents, abilities, and what we have in our humanness. And we measure those up against our God-sized vision, dreams, and call, and we say, I can't. And to that, I say to you today, you're right. (laughs) You can't. But he can. He can. You and God 
are a majority, and nothing is too difficult for God. When you belong to God, your story is really his story in your life. So what story is God writing? What big dreams has he given you? What dreams are bigger than you can accomplish on your own so that he gets the credit? Remember that song that we sang when we were little kids? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. When we are weak, he is strong. Not once we match his strength, we join his team. No, when we are weak, he is strong. Be excited about your weaknesses, your insecurities, your imperfections, your limitations, because it's in those that God seems to shine the brightest and wants to use the most. And he is the one who gives us the victory. So it begins with trust. Remember to trust him. He is with you wherever you go. Number two, humility. Humility. God is the reason that you are successful. Now, here he's quite honest, and the angel spells it out. The Lord said to Gideon, he said, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. In Judges chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, Gideon had performed the sacrifice specifically instructed to him by the angel. And the angel strikes it with fire. Fire springs forth from this sacrifice and totally consumes it, ensuring Gideon that the, his angel uh, who disappeared immediately from him was indeed the angel of the Lord. And God answers Gideon's prayer audibly and he says, Peace be to you. Peace be to you. He assures Gideon that he will not die. And Gideon builds an altar to the Lord there, and he calls the place, the Lord is peace. You need some peace in your life in the midst of the chaos? The Lord is peace. And Gideon found peace as he went up against the Midianites. He found peace because his peace was in the Lord. God is the reason for the success. There were overwhelming odds against the Israelites. They were going up against, I think it was like 130,000 <laughs> know, uh, adversaries there. And, and they start out and um, they have uh, just a, a few, like, like 32,000 uh, soldiers. <laughs> this is like the movie Hoosiers, right? This is like the show Rudy. This is, they are the underdogs. They don't stand a chance why even show up for the game <laughs> kind of thing. And again, when we are weak, he is strong. But even weak as they were, God wants to assure their humility. And so he, he, gives, he gives Gideon this uh, mandate that he's going to have to trim down his troops, make it even smaller. What do you mean make it even smaller? We're already the underdogs. He goes, yeah, but you're too many. <laughs> With the, the 32,000 that you have, you could still have this great victory, and it's too many. The next thing that we have to remember, when you go after that God-sized dream, you better have passion for it. You better want it, right? Trust, humility, passion. You had better have 
passion for a God-sized dream. You'd better be all in. You'd better have some skin in the game. You had better ought to want to win. And God should be the fire that ignites that determination. That should be your main reason. Whatever you're going after in life. I mean, if God has called you to be a missionary in a developing country, great. If he's called you to be a youth minister or a worship minister or a preacher, great. If he's called you to be an elder in your church, if he's called you to be a growth group leader or a youth group sponsor, great. But if he's called you to be an accountant, if he's called you to be a surgeon, if he's called you to be a CPA, if he's called you to be a farmer, if he's called you to, to be a, uh, a builder, to work in construction, whatever he has called you to do, make sure that he is, that he is the fire that ignites your determination. Because everything that we do, we do it for the Lord, not as for men. And so school teacher, when you enter the classroom and you're teaching these children that have been entrusted to you, you are working for the Lord, not necessarily the school corporation that you've signed a contract with and who's paying you. If you are a, a delivery person and you're delivering packages from home to home to home, it is not Amazon that you're working for or the, the homeowner of the house where you leave the package that you're working for, though that's where your income on earth comes from. It is the Lord that you are serving and when he is the passion behind what we're going after, there's the drive. There's the drive. And he is the reason that you go off to school. He is the reason that you go off to work. He is the reason that you go get training. He is the fire that ignites your determination. He is the reason that we do it. In Judges 6, 25 through 32, Gideon received the call of God to destroy his own father's altar to Baal. Can you imagine? I was going to ruin Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> His own father's altar to Baal. The first thing that he has to do is he has to go and destroy his own father's altar. He's more than a little timid about it. Oh, and his Asherah pole, by the way. Humans have always liked their idols, haven't they? <laughs> and he, he took ten men with him and he goes in, in the dark. He takes his father's bull and the bull's young bull with him. And he tears down these things and he sacrifices the young bull and the sacrifice that I mentioned earlier. The people are outraged over what Gideon has done and they, they go to Gideon's dad, Joash. And they suggest the discipline should be Gideon's own life. You see what your son did? Your son tore down your altar to Baal. And he used your own bull to pull down his Asherah pole. We think you should... Punish him with his life. But Joash tells them not to lay a hand on Gideon and basically says, if he has offended Baal, then let Baal strike him dead. If not, we'll know he did the right thing. God and one person is a majority. And God blessed Gideon's faith. Gideon, had, <laughs> he was still a little timid though. Before he went out, he did a, a little fleece testing. You know this story? <laughs> He puts a fleece out at night and he prays to God, Lord, if, if it's your will for me to do this, then when I wake up in the morning, let the fleece be soaking wet and the, the, the ground all around it be dry. And, and God honored that. And then the next day, you know, it's like, well, uh, please don't be angry with me. Don't strike me dead. But just one more time, one more, one more sign. I'm going to put the fleece back out again. And tomorrow morning when I wake up, let the ground all around it be soaking wet, but let it be dry. And the next day, the ground was all wet and the fleece was, was dry. And I got to thinking about that when we, when we wrestle over what God's will is for our lives, what his big rock call is for us. 
And I thought, the best application that I can give you for that today is this. Don't ever question God about things he's already told you to do or things he's told you not to do in his word. He'll never contradict himself. If you are being tempted to have an affair, don't put a fleece out and say, God, if it be your will, let this fleece be soaking wet. Then I'll know that you want me to have this affair. No, God does not want you to have the affair. I can tell you that right now. (laughs) If you're wondering whether or not you should be faithful with the tithe, and you say, Lord, I'm going to put this fleece out. If it's your will, let it be wet in the morning and the ground be dry. And I'll know that you want me to. No, God's already told us to be faithful with the tithe. And so often we already know what God wants us to do. And we're waiting around for a sign when his word is crystal clear. And we just need to go for it passionately, but cautiously. Someone has said, the safest place to be is not in the will of God. (laughs) But it is always the right place to be. You know, you hear people say that, and they mean, well, well, the safest place to be is always in the will of God. Well, there's a lot of martyrs out there that might beg to differ with you. (laughs) But it is always the right place to be. And that brings us to the fourth word, and that is the word vigilance. Vigilance. God wants you to be aware of danger. And so after, uh, I forgot to, let me read Judges 7.3 for you real quick. Sorry about that. Judges 7.3 says, Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Uh, that was under the word passion. (laughs) Those whose hearts were not all in it went back home. And the next test is this one in verses 4 through 8 for vigilance. It says, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Ten thousand? Ten thousand's too many? (laughs) Take them down to the water, and I'll test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say, this one shall not go with you, shall not go with you. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And he let all the others go, every man to his home. And so the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. I love that test. Take them down to the water, 10,000 people. I want you to see how they drink. Those that get down on their knees like this and drink from the water, send them home. But those who go down and scoop the water and stand and drink it like this, I want to keep. I once asked a group of students when I was teaching this, why do you think, what's the practical benefit of that? And what I was looking for is them to say, well, you know, like a a deer might drink water. They're always looking around so that their heads are up and they can see any danger, vigilance, you know. Uh, Unlike, you know, drinking like a dog with their head down to the water and they can't see an attacker coming on them. That's kind of what I was looking for. And the little girl had the best answer. She said, because your head should be up because you're looking to God. (laughs) 
I said, whoa, that's very good. That's a better application than I had for it. Be vigilant. There is danger all around. Monday, as I was looking over my notes, I caught the noon news. And I thought it was an interesting thing. The Bible says, be careful when you think you stand, lest you fall. There were two men who, all appearances are, had their hearts in the right place. They weren't vigilant enough. Both had been to Indianapolis recently, one last month and one on April the 9th. And they spoke to people with similar battles of their own. One was Austin Eubanks. Austin Eubanks was a 17-year-old high school student at Columbine High School in Colorado when two gunmen came in and stormed throughout that building wreaking havoc. And he said, I was in the library that day. And he said, when they came in, a teacher said, There's a, somebody, there are people in the building with guns. Everybody get under the table. And he said, they all got under the table. And, and this was at the beginning of this epidemic of things. And we weren't as prepared for it back then. We didn't have safety things in place. And, 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 and they got under the table. And the gunmen came in, fellow students with guns, came in and went through underneath every table. He said, my best friend died right beside me. I was shot in the hand and then the knee. Within 45 minutes, understandably so, I was heavily sedated. As I began to recover from my surgeries in the days and weeks that followed, the strong opioids that I was prescribed were doing a great job of taking away the pain physically that I was having. But I found a side benefit to them in that they also numbed the emotions for which I struggled, something terrible. And when the physical surgeries had healed, the addiction had set in. And Austin Eubanks became addicted, part of the opioid crisis we have um, here in America. As just a side note, I was pulling out a Kroger's in Avon a week or so ago. Such a crowded little area there as you pull out onto 267 and there was a large crowd outside the Conkle Funeral Home. A lot of young people. I don't know. I have no idea. They could have all been grandkids of an elderly person that died of natural causes. I don't know. But as I looked over there, I kind of shook my head. My daughter was with me and I said, I've had so many trips to that funeral home. Uh, all for young men. 19 to 20-something years old, some of whose funerals I preached, who died from opioid overdoses. And as I stood in so many of those lines at the funeral visitations, you know, you think you're going in there and you think, you think, well, I wonder where their, you know, their parents went wrong or this kid went wrong or whatever, and you walk in and there's pictures, you know, dad coaching their little league, you know, they're in 4-H, they, their church mission trips, you know, you go through and you think, what happened, you know, and uh, I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of it, and this week, Austin Eubanks, after speaking here in Indianapolis to a group of people battling the opioid addiction lost his life to the very thing he was speaking about. Al Unser Jr. spoke in Indianapolis on April the 9th about his alcoholism, and he was very open about it, very candid about it. And if you know anyone who's ever, ever battled addiction, you know how, 
how much of a struggle that can be. And about 1.30 in the morning in Avon, Al Unser Jr. was arrested for drunk driving. And um, uh, the great thing about it is the noon news that day was all about what to do if you have an alcohol addiction. <laughs> I thought, that's interesting, given, where, you know, given how much of it we're about to sell at the track. But anyway, um, I thought that was good. Good timing, that it put it in the forefront. But both of those men knelt down and drank like the dogs out of the water. And because their biggest enemy was right behind them all the time and overtook them. Be vigilant. Know your weaknesses. Um, the, the, the show of the Waltons, there's very little probably that many of you know. Some of you, some of the young people in here probably have watched it on some of the like TV land kind of things, but on the show Walton's Mountain, when John Boy Walton had finally grown up, what are you going to do with the series, right? John Boy's going off to college. The whole thing was about him writing a book about his life in the mountains and and his dad was as blue-collar a worker as they come, operated a little sawmill that struggled out of the barn on their property. And the, there's a scene that is one of those, what do you call it, epiphanies or, you know, infamy kind of things that is etched in the minds of American television. The last thing he said to John Boy Walton, you don't expect it coming from him, the, the greatest word of wisdom, but he said to his son, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And that is so true. Be vigilant. Remember who you are and remember whose you are. You are a child of the king, and that's so important. One final thing as we wrap things up, and I'm, I'm over time. Uh, celebration. The word celebration. Uh, God must be the one who gets the credit. Make sure he's the one who gets the credit. It says, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son, and your grandson also. Ah, monarchy here. See. For you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I'll not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. There's so much about this story that reminds me of early America. As I was reading, I thought, this sounds like George Washington, right? General George Washington, he led us victorious in our, our independence from Britain. And everybody said, we want to make you a king, your highness. What shall we call you? Your highness, will that work? And he's like, I don't want to be your king. And he, at least history paints the picture that he directed everyone's attention. God is your king. Put your attention on him. I will be a leader from the people, of the people. And I'm so glad that we still practice that, uh, that election of electing a, a leader. Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you. <laughs> He's not perfect. Every one of you, give me your earrings from his spoil. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites that they had attacked. And they answered, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak. And every man threw it in the earrings of his spoil. And the, the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was... a. 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the king of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it, and he put it in his city in Ophrah. And all Israel uh, just lorded after it and worshipped it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. Is that not anticlimactic? 
you know. Everything else is so beautiful about this. I'll not be your king, and my son will not be your king, nor my grandson. Only God shall be king. By the way, I'd like to have a golden vest if I could. And a fod was a vest that's worn by like a high priest. It basically goes from the shoulders down to the knee. They were very heavy. They were harnessed up here by straps and down by the knees by straps. And it was not uncommon for them to be made of colors that represented royalty, like purple threads. And of fine threads made of gold throughout. And, and, and they were a little bit ornament. But there's a difference between dressing your best for a, a ceremony or a, a, an important occasion, showing respect to the Lord, and being flashy. And he went from formal to flashy. One of my commentators said, perhaps it is easier to honor God in some courageous action in the limelight of a time of national emergency than it is to honor him consistently in the ordinary everyday life. Wow. Is that not true? It requires a different kind of courage. Gideon, who came through the test of adversity, came through it with flying colors, was not he first nor the last he was not first nor the last to be less successful in the test of prosperity depending on the interpretation of the weight the gold weighed between 40 and 70 pounds that's fancy fancy and we're not seeing that he was condemned for it it did say it became a snare to him that was his one thing what's your snare as you go off and you seek the victory victory that we remember from the past Remember to trust God, to have humility and passion and vigilance, and remember to celebrate God for what he has given to you. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be in this place and to worship you for this Memorial Day weekend, God. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would continue to bless this great nation. I pray for our uh, farmers in all seriousness, God, as they figure out over the next critical week what things look like. I pray for our high school graduates headed off to college. I pray for the junior hires graduating already and being prepared for high school. I pray for all of us parents and grandparents as we, as we look at what life looks like in that kind of a transition. But in all of it, God, we trust you. We humbly lay it at your feet. And God, we, uh, we seek your wisdom, uh, God, to protect us Keep us ever vigilant that we won't become cocky, and God will give you the praise and the glory for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.